Welcome back, everybody, to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, joined today by Benedict Matherin, superfan Price, otherwise known as Just Guessing on the Detroit Pistons Discord. Price, thanks for joining me today. Happy to be here. Excellent. So, as noted, we'll be talking about Benedict Matherin today, Pac-12 Player of the Year. I don't know, I've yet to come up with a nickname for him, French-Canadian Phenom, maybe. Sounds good. Uh, whatever the case, though, uh, before we get started, Price, we're about a week away or a week past the NBA draft lottery, which we know didn't end too well for the Pistons. What have been your chief takeaways uh, from the news in that time? Basically, we've got the combine, uh, excuse me, the combine results in for for a lot of the players, not for the the big guys, which is pretty much usually the case. Like we don't know Chet Holmgren's weight, etc. But we got some measurables in. Some some guys really popped. Some guys really didn't. One guy is Dyson Daniels. This isn't really quite relevant to our conversation, but he is probably shooting up the draft boards uh, right now because he came in bigger, faster, and with like just better results like across the board than was projected. And don't be surprised to hear his name called early based off of kind of everything we're hearing. Another name is Jeremy Sohan who I think is going to go in the lottery pretty high on him myself. So, right. And then you have like, uh, it's going to be Patrick, uh, not Patrick Baldwin, Patrick Baldwin. Oh, yeah. he was terrible. Yeah. He had a, a, an absolutely awful showing and that's, that's, I think going to push him maybe out of the first round mm-hmm. with how, with how terrible it is. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that uh, you can, we're kind of getting a little more separation, I think, with the different tiers of players, finally, and with like with who's measuring well, who's interviewing well. And so o- overall, I-, I feel like this has been a pretty strong, positive development for people who followed this draft class, and there hasn't been any separation in pretty much anybody since basically the cycle started, uh, except for like the few guys at the top who've kind of wired to wired this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Combine results were interesting. I always find it a little bit frustrating every year that we don't hear too much about the top prospects because, of course, they have no incentive at all to fully participate. I read an article, like uh, Sam Bassini and John Hollinger from The Athletic, and I know those some of you who are long-time listeners and know me know that I'm not the biggest fan of John Hollinger, but he had some good points in this. I said that you know maybe in the future, in the next CBA, you have some sort of requirements I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, in order to to participate in the combine that you have to submit yourself to at least certain tests like medical evaluations and whatnot, because right now these guys can get away with not giving you anything. But also, I just, you know, if you could find some way to just get more info for the fans, you know, for the for the teams, for the players, like, but yeah, so you had some risers, you had some fallers, and then you had Shaden Sharp, who I know is a hot topic issue amongst Pistons fandom, or rightly so. And the combine really soured him for me. It soured me on him rather because he, you know, he went with this sort of international man of mystery act. <laughs> like, I'm sure, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you. Uh, like, do you, do you have any opinions on that? Like uh, the way that Shaden Sharp comported himself. Oh, it's awful. I, in in my unprofessional opinion, Shaden Sharp, I think, has handled himself terribly. Uh, in terms of how he's related to at least the media um, and the public, because we just don't know like where he's at at all in his development mm-hmm. in, in his game. And 
that's kind of been the big question with him. And I feel like someone got it in his ear. This is my conspiracy theory. I don't have any sources on this, but someone in his team got in his ear to say, be, be mysterious as much as you want. Um, Someone's going to draft you. You'll be drafted top seven. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I, I figured because we knew so little about him, and he had to, of course, he knew that. The teams knew so little about him. And of course, I, I think it's a slam dunk to say that he entered this draft because it's weak and because he knew that he would be drafted in the lottery and possibly in the top 10, you know, regardless of anything. And next year, he might have played himself out of the out of the lottery, or he might. It's just a stronger draft in general next season, too, especially in the top tiers as it looks right now. So I figured that we'd see more of him. You know, he'd participate fully at the combine, maybe even play in the five on fives, though that's generally players in the lower end of the first round and the second round, and then, you know, not not necessarily even in the draft picture at all. But instead, he did basically nothing. I mean, he had a, his agent held a pro day, and that's it. And in that same article that I referenced by Sam Bassini and John Hollinger, they said something interesting, which is that agents and, excuse me, team executives just find pro days really irritating because they're a waste of very valuable time at the combine and they show you hardly anything. It's just a bunch of one on zeros. So you don't really get to see what a player can do at all. They just, they go because they want to, you know, maybe get a little bit of extra information and not to offend the agent, the player. So I I know that like, uh, it was a Jonathan Gibney, I think from draft express brought up that, uh, Oh, Keegan Murray, you know, most top five players don't even go and work hard at their pro days and something to know, Gibney to his, you know, a good dude has been in, in the draft business for a long time. He really hypes guys up on those little Twitter pieces, you know, for obvious reasons, get people interested. That's what his content's about. So Keegan Murray doing some work at his pro day was not really a sign of anything. Guys don't work hard at the pro days, you know, for what it's worth. But yeah, so we heard nothing. We, we learned nothing about Sharp. And that sours me on him a bit. I think it was deliberate. And also we just know nothing. And I, I would imagine that, that team executives haven't learned too much either. So this could make him fall. And I feel for me, it is definitely made him fall on my board. Would you say the same for yours? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, in terms of his fit with the Pistons, uh, in terms of the character uh, that he has presented, I would, I'm thinking much less of him in terms of how he'd fit with our culture, Mm -hmm. just because it seems like he's playing it up like he's above it all. And it's like, dude, no. You're not. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Like you look, I figured that he would come in and you would see kind of like Scotty Barnes last year. Now Barnes came in and this is highly unprecedented, but it kind of showed you the sort of player he is, uh, the sort of person he is rather. He came in and uh, as a basically consensus top five pick, if I remember correctly, he not only came to the combine and I mean, he submitted himself to everything. He did all the drills. He did all the measurements. And, you know, he just wanted to go out there and work hard and show what he had. And I figured that Shade and Sharp would go out there and do that. You know, I'm an unknown. I want to come out here and show everybody what I can do. And instead, he did the opposite, you know, which not only kind of made me feel a lot more uncertain about him, but I agree, it seems a little bit sleazy. And again, this could be like someone in his camp is telling him, this is how you should do this in order to maximize your position in terms of where you get drafted. Like, that's the calculation I think is being made Mm -hmm. and i think it's a wrong one and i think it's also revealing that if there isn't issues with his maturity level himself then there might be issues in the camp and i don't know which is actually worse 
Yeah, well, I, I, I would rather have, I'd rather have him be more mature and, and the people whispering in his ears be, be less so because you know we stay can, I don't know, be separated from him, I guess, by whichever team he ends up on. But yeah, it was, yeah, there was, it, it was just disappointing for me, and I don't, I, I feel a lot less. I mean, maybe if, if the Pistons really get in and get to see a lot of what he can do and and, and a private workout. They might feel better about him, but I got to think that probably hurt his chance. Probably hurt his chances of being drafted to the Pistons. So, Agreed. all right, yeah. So, let's move on to the star of the show, so to speak. That's Benedict Matherin. So he is. We got his combine measurements. Unfortunately, we didn't participate in strength and agility, which is a shuttle run, weight agility, maximum vertical, standing vertical, and I think it's a shame for him because I think he would have been in the top tiers in all of them at his position. But six four and a half without shoes, so he'll be listed as six five in the NBA. Six foot nine and a half wingspan, or wait, six foot nine, six foot nine and a half. I don't remember. Whatever. Long wingspan. Uh, he'll be about twenty at the draft itself. Played two seasons at Arizona, and yeah, let's talk about what he's going to bring. What he's going to bring into the NBA. So, I know he's fairly high on your board, correct? Correct. I am probably the highest on Matherin of anyone that I've seen mm-hmm. in terms of like just the, the draft Twitter, the draft YouTube, uh, like sub community, uh, on discord, Reddit, what, what have you. I'm, pro- I'm probably the highest person you'll find on, on Benedict Matherin. Yeah. So why, why Matherin for you? Where, where would you pick him first? Like if, uh, if you were, yeah, in a vacuum, where would you, where, where do you believe Matherin should be picked? Gun to my head, I'd select him over Jaden Ivey. Okay, so you'd be taking in number four. You think you don't think that he uh, he should be drafted above uh, Bunkero, Holmgren, Jabari Smith, like the the big three, so to speak. Probably not, but I like him more than Bunkero, mm-hmm. like a lot more. But I'd probably select Bunkero third, just because he is a rare combination of size and skill, and that's that's something that most teams are going to want in yeah. theory, but I'm, I'm much higher on Matherin than, than Ivy. And that's, mm-hmm. I think probably the big like diverge I have on that front. Fair enough. All right. So why Matherin? What do you like most about him? I like the idea of a really athletic two, three ish kind of wing. Uh, and, and that means like two, three, like, shooting guard or small forward mm-hmm. um, kind of sized player. He's very athletic. He, I don't think he loses much from Ivy in terms of his burst, in terms of his verticality. It, I think it's it's right up there with Ivy. He's absolutely a, a terror um, on like back cuts. Mm-hmm. And, and like from two feet, like standing still, he can just elevate like to a ridiculous degree. And that's, I think, important because his other real selling point for me is his shooting, I think is an absolute asset. It is, he's one of probably the three, four best, like pure shooters in terms of if we just isolate the shooting skill in the draft mm-hmm. up there with like, like uh, Jabari. And really? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he was shooting at about thirty eight percent on six shots a game from beyond the arc, and they, these were uh, usually off movement. 
So it's not like he's he's getting a lot of shots off the catch and then he's um like wide open or something. These are like contested off movement shots and he can elevate um like kind of mid stride almost in in like a like off a screen action and can just really get up there and he's he's long for his size and he it, it, the form is really solid and it's very pretty and i think that there is real potential for him to be a a volume movement shooter in the nba and yeah that's about that, that is highly highly valuable yeah definitely yeah, you mentioned his his athleticism, but the, which is definitely a big deal, especially for the Pistons. But absolutely, a stick with the shot. Completely agree with you. Mechanics are really good, really pretty stroke. High elevation, particularly when he's shooting off the move. He's got a compact release, and also a slight fade, which makes contests more difficult and gives him more space. So uh, definitely great to have that. Uh, just even even before his entry into the NBA, he's just a pretty pure shooter uh, who is not only quick. You know, quick enough to to get himself open, but is yeah, it's, it's just just as excellent mechanics. Not sure I'd say he's on Jabari level. Like Jabari, I think is is an unusually like pure shooter, so to speak. But Matherin's up there from the perimeter, definitely. I feel like he can get he can get set really quickly when he's catching off the move. He sets into pull ups quickly. He can make some difficult motion shots. Uh, can easily reset on side steps. He's a guy who who also sees the situation well. You know, he'll. He knows enough of what's going on around him that'll pump fake to get open, uh, or just outweigh defenders to take uh, to take the right shot. So, yeah, those those guys who can who are fast enough to get open and, and can shoot well on motion threes. I mean, that's definitely super valuable. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I would like to clarify: I don't consider him a better shooter than Jabari in terms of just their shooting skill. Because mm-hmm. I I'm super high on Jabari. I think that like his floor is the highest in the draft and that's without question because of his size athleticism defense and of course his ability to elevate on his shot is just going to be almost unstoppable even at the NBA level because it's very consistent very repeatable mechanics and the 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 shot release is so high already on a 610 frame yeah so it's like i i wouldn't put Matherin in that rarefied air but I would consider him a very strong candidate for in that next tier of of like AJ Griffin, Benedict Mathrin, and then I, I I don't know who else. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to look at the list. Definitely, we're, we're probably looking at. I mean, you've got Keegan Murray, who's, who's a good shooter as well, but nowhere near as good in terms of getting open or hitting those motion shots. So. Uh, yeah, definitely up there as a shooter, and that's that's a valuable commodity in general, valuable for the Pistons. Uh, we'll talk about his fit with the Pistons a little bit later. But uh, when it uh, you mentioned his athleticism, also a big deal. I would rate Matherin as kind of like an eight and a half out of ten NBA athletes, which is pretty darn good. Uh, I'm not sure I agree that he's quite as athletic as Ivy. I think Ivy's burst is is better. Ivy's just uh, his verticality off of one foot is better, but but Matherin's really up there, and his athleticism doesn't make up as much of his game as it does of Ivy's. Like if you took, yeah, if you took away Ivy's athleticism uh, or just made him an average NBA athlete, he'd be a pretty bad player. <laughs> I think if you did the same for Matherin, he'd be not as good, but he'd still 
you know, he'd still find ways to have a solid NBA value, but like, uh, just really he's explosive. He's, he's quick, both on and off the ball, long strides, just chews up space and transition agile. And uh, I think he's a pretty good lateral mover. Uh, you mentioned his leaping. Yeah. Great leaper off of two feet, like can vertically space the floor at six, five good body control. Yeah. So, uh, and, and he harnesses that to be just an excellent aggressive mover off the ball. So you couple though, that, that together with his ability to shoot and, also, I feel like his athleticism gives him uh, an interesting ceiling as well, just in terms of, you know, if he can get it together as a creator. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Matherin, if if the creation can be brought along, I think you're looking at a very interesting potential second or third option on a contender. Yeah. Yeah, that, that athleticism definitely. I mean, you don't have to have good athleticism to be, you know, to be a good player. It's just definitely a very, 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 very nice thing to have. And, and, you know, and he's a great athlete to, to really, yeah, it's, and we, we can talk again later about the fit, uh, about the fit with the Pistons, but that's something the Pistons also desperately need. So uh, yeah, let's talk about how he just, how he parlays this into, into success or how he parlayed it into success in his NBA, excuse me, NCAA sophomore season. So we talked about, yeah, loves to, you know, we talked about him as a shooter, loves to run the foreign transition. Uh, what really stuck out to you just in general about how he comported himself in the half court offense and how he was effective there? I think the biggest thing for me and why I've risen on him so high is the year to year, month to month progression that I saw this season with his passing mm-hmm. and his feel in the pick and roll. I wouldn't consider him a positive value player um, on in the NBA context on either front yet. But with how much he has progressed and given that he gets plenty of run in the NBA with his high floor as a uh, potential off-ball three-point threat already, that Mm -hmm. when you combine with, I I saw pretty serious strides in the passing department, off-screen actions again, I think that there is that kind of next level that we could see him hit if he's given the right situation to develop in. Yeah. He was asked, I think, to do a little bit too much at Arizona, or maybe he just wanted to do more than than maybe he was really ready for. But I completely agree in terms of his improvement as a passer across the course of his sophomore season. Like by the end of it, like I, I think that that game against TCU was really just the apotheosis of of his progress in which he was really just active in every capacity. Uh, like off the ball, on the ball, uh, passing, rebounding, everything. But yeah, as a passer, I don't think he's ever going to be, I don't think he has really that high passing IQ that he's going to need to be a really good passer. He's more of just kind of, um, you know, what he sees, so to speak. Like he's not really a, a super cerebral thinker, but he now can make those sort of split second decisive reads to find lobs, to find just open men in general when he's on the perimeter, not open men, uh, you know, whether they be on the, whether they're on the perimeter or they're cutting. And also when he's, when he goes off the drive, like he's very decisive about these passes and they're, they're bullet passes and they generally are going to find, they're going to find guys in the shooting pocket. So I definitely agree that that's, that significantly elevates his ceiling if he can translate to that, that to the NBA and if he can continue improving upon that. So uh, yeah, what else did you see really in the half court that you particularly liked? One thing I'd like to bring up first that you mentioned is that his role in Arizona is 
is definitely, I think, just too heavy for us to really get an accurate picture fully of his projection into the NBA. He was the highest usage player and also, I believe, the minutes leader um, on a per-game basis. I think he was the only player who was north of 32 minutes or north of 30 minutes even on uh, the Arizona Wildcats. And yeah, and the biggest thing that we haven't addressed yet is his rebounding and in the half court as a guy who can get those second possessions and extend plays. I think that that's something that's in his game. It's not necessarily a focal point, but it is for a six, five player roughly He's a guy who can really track down like long rebounds and help reset the the offense and give his team another look on occasion. And that's kind of like a nice little facet to throw in that he's this very engaged player at times. And if that can be more of a focus in a more secondary role, rather than having to carry the load as the, best player mm-hmm. on his team, then I think you're looking at a at a guy who could do a lot more on the margins than what we've seen. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Now, he was asked to do a great deal at Arizona, and I checked, uh, yeah, you're right. He, he was the only guy who averaged over 30 minutes. Number number two on the team was a guy in a, in a much, much, much lesser role. Uh, Kirk Risa, I don't really know too much about him. Daylon Terry was number three. He might be a third-round draft pick. These are guys who averaged way less in the way of shots and just did way less in general. I mean, the, the really the next most involved player was Christian Coloco at 25 minutes, and he wasn't really asked to do a ton. So yeah, Mathurin was really asked to take on a primary handling role in a way that I, I don't know if he was ready for, and I don't think will be necessarily great for him in the NBA. So there are some wrinkles there that I think will be smoothed out by having a more defined role in which he has more help. But yeah, when it comes to rebounding, I was impressed because he really likes to to get into the trenches, so to speak, and crash the glass in a way that's just much more assertive and aggressive than you typically see from his position. Like the guy would occasionally just come out of nowhere, like in the interior, like amongst the trees, so to speak, to grab a re- to grab a board and put in a putback. Also, definitely, like you said, will grab long rebounds as well, will pursue his shot, and just seems to have just the sort of joy in that aspect of the game. And you just would not really see it when defenders wouldn't really see it coming necessarily. It reminds me a little bit of Cam Johnson, who is similarly very good at, at sweeping in from the weak side corner to pick up a, a, an offensive rebound. It's it's a useful skill, without a doubt. And, and like you said, we might see additional stuff like that on the margins of his game if he in the NBA if he doesn't really have quite so high of a load. So, yeah, I think that, I mean, some other things he can do right now, uh, can attack closeouts. He can do some attacking at the rim. He's just not great at finishing through contact, and uh, he can shoot through close coverage. That's super useful. Uh, guys have to play him close to three-point line for that reason, and uh, also gets to the free-throw line because he is aggressive. Now, uh, what do you think about his defense? It's a bit hit and miss. There's, yeah. I think, good potential. Yeah, I agree. With the athleticism, with the ranginess that he can play at times, that he can get skinny around screens. What do you think about his defensive ceiling, though? You know, for this, you know, for this, as long as, long as we're still talking about the pluses. I think the the ceiling on his defense is pretty high. Not as like a 
guy who's going to be a primary like ISO perimeter guy, but in a good defense, I don't think he's the weakest link. Yeah, I feel like, so I think he's athletic enough and long enough to stay, you know, to stay in front of most players. I I think that, uh, you know, and, and could provide something as a weak side shot blocker. And like you said, good at getting skinny around screens, good at making rotations, like uh, when he sees them properly. So I, I agree, probably not likely to be an elite stopper, but I, I think he could definitely be a plus defender. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like you said, there are some concerns. Get to those uh, in, in just a short time. Uh, something that, uh, that I know we're both big fans of is his mentality. Like just in terms of he's just a super fiery competitor. Yeah. Matherin has an unimpeachable on-court uh, absolutely uh, Matherin has an unimpeachable on-court presence in terms of how he can play with just a lot of passion like those rebounds that he can just track down as you said amongst the trees and like grab them and then make the right pass to set up a teammate or he can come in and sky over pretty much whoever he wanted at the NCAA level is something that like makes him really fun to watch. And he always kind of brought it. It wasn't always the most consistent thing on either end, but the, you can tell that he played at a extremely high level and it is a very well accomplished, like in terms of his character that he had on, on both ends and the passion he played with. It's very strong. Yeah, he's he's just definitely a competitor, and yeah, that we'll, we'll talk about his his defensive focus in a bit, but uh, which which can be uh, I don't know if I agree with people that he took possessions off, but it definitely could have been better. But yeah, if you watch him out there, I mean, the guy is just passionate, just just super passionate, uh, really emotional, like not emotional, fortunately, like arguing with the refs, but it, you can tell that he's just got really got a fire within him and and an edge. And this is the the sort of mentality that can serve as as maybe the emotional heartbeat of a team. Like you've got on the Pistons, Isaiah Stewart is a super hard worker. You've got well, you get a lot of really hard workers in the Pistons, but just somebody who plays with that emotional edge. I mean, it's uh, it's fun. It's definitely fun to watch. And now a quick word from our sponsor. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? The DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Uh, all right, on to downsides. So you had started to mention about his defense. Yes. So as I was alluding to, it is very much a mixed bag. And I agree that it's not that he takes off plays so much as that he gets kind of just caught um, staring at the wrong guy or not being having good situational awareness for uh, where the next pass is going to go. And he can make good rotations, but 
I, I did think that he oftentimes relied on his athleticism to kind of make up for like a poor first guess in terms of his uh, kind of attacking mentality on defense. I thought he could get over aggressive and rely too much on his just length and speed to make up for that because he can really get up there and, and get his hand on shots. But the issue is that I felt like he was out of position on a lot of those like shot block attempts that he would uh, get. And that's, it's kind of this work in progress that is kind of a theme of this player is that there's a lot of pieces that need to come together still but that what's there already is still like a functional NBA player yeah yeah I agree like on defense my impression of him was that it it wasn't an issue of IQ like if we're talking like I, I think some players just don't have a defensive IQ like they're if we're talking about decent defensive IQ, defensive acumen, it's just the ability to make the right reads and the right decisions on a split second basis. And in the NBA, your the time you have to make those decisions is very small. Like Marvin Bagley, I think there's only I don't see a future in which he's really a plus defender. Maybe he becomes like an acceptable defender, but his defensive acumen is just so poor. Now with Matherone, I feel like a lot of the mistakes, you know, like biting on pump fakes, being overly aggressive, uh, and and just getting blown past. Things like that. I feel like these are not issues of IQ. I think they're they're more things that could be ironed out at the NBA level. I don't think he has elite defensive IQ, but I think that a lot of the the mistakes that he made on defense could be uh, practiced out of him, so to speak. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, I would agree. So that just reduce his role, and maybe the energy levels will just kind of even out, mm. and it might allow him to focus kind of more on those like little details. And if he ends up on a team with like Dwayne Casey as the coach, then those uh, defensive uh, issues will be addressed um, like first thing in order for him to stay on the court uh, in any meaningful way for the course of the season. So I think that there's, there's potential for vast improvement on that end. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. And yeah, even you made a good point, like even just reducing the role so that he can, he can focus more on the defense and, and who knows, some players just have the energy to do this on both ends. But I, I think just, it's like we both said, a lot was asked of him on offense that maybe it was a little bit too much. And yeah, you pair that down. It, it might just bring a lot for better focus and in both, you know, on both ends, but on defense. Yeah. I mean, he'll be coming into a good situation. Definitely, and and I, I think we could see dramatic improvement from him across the the course of his first season. Another weakness: shot selection. Like, just sometimes tries to do too much and forces shots in the interior, in particular, uh, you know, particularly off the drive. But also some pull up threes that are too difficult. So, uh, did you see that as well from him in the NCAA? Yeah, I think that the a lot of my issues stem from the fact that he didn't really get himself into great positions in the mid range mm-hmm. a lot. And it's like, if they, if the defense is successful at walling him off from getting to the rim, then he would oftentimes, I think just settle for like a so, so floater or a 
just a really contested two. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we get the positive improvement trage- trajectory continuing with his passing, then that will, I think, open up easier looks for him in the mid-range because that's his, my biggest concern, honestly, is how much can he improve in between his uh in between his three-point shot and his ability to crash the rim yeah like just just to bring up some stats yeah on on pull-up twos shot 31 percent on on 32 attempts on runners shot 25 percent you you mentioned runners floaters you mentioned that uh yeah 25 percent on 44 attempts like if he finds himself in a tough position in the interior yeah sometimes he'll just take a bad shot that floater you know, that's, there's an awful percentage even for the NCAA to floater for almost everybody is not an efficient shot in the NBA. Like the efficiency standards in the NBA are very high. So yeah, sometimes he would just take bad shots. And like I said, some of his threes, some of his pull-up threes, I mean, if he can make them great, but some of them he really should not have been attempting. 34% pull-up shooter from three, which is good, but could have been higher if he hadn't taken some dumb threes, a, a fair number of them. So yeah, shot selection is definitely there and I feel better about it. Well, now that we saw him develop more as a passer, like uh, I think increasingly across the course of the season, saw him pass rather than take those bad shots. So uh, another one, uh, in my opinion, really needs to work on finishing through contact. Yeah, totally. The uh, ability for him, he's kind of like very solidly built. Yeah, 205. 205 and it's like a very solid 205 like Mm -hmm. there's you can tell that like he he's very like kind of stoutly built for a guy at at his size and for his like kind of just long like limbed thing I, i i've always been impressed by his his just physical look on the nba or not sorry the ncaa court Mm -hmm. however yeah like he can blow by people and i think that's his preference right now but if he's going to be at all like a secondary or tertiary option on a very good team he's going to need to challenge the the big boys in the big big show you know like that's really his his bread and butter there is going to be able to challenge guys because i've seen him put put big guys on a poster like if you watched that tcu game oh yeah was like absolutely phenomenal performance in the second round in the, this past tournament. And he, he just threw down, I think like two or three times. And that shows that it's there, but there's still, I didn't see it a lot leading up to, to that performance. I, I kind of was struck mostly by the fact that he could actually challenge a significantly bigger, uh, player than him and win. Yeah. Like, I feel like off the drive, like he's got a decent handle in, in some circumstances across the drive, you know, on the drive, his handle is another weakness, but if he's driving, he tends to drive around. And then, I mean, sometimes basically he'll get up into the air, he'll face contact. And then it seems like he doesn't entirely know what to do in the moment. And so often we see just a, a bad shot go off. Sometimes we'll draw a foul. He's, he's very good driving fouls, but or pretty good at the NCAA level. He definitely got to the line. So, um, but yeah, like you said, that he's if he's going to be that good creator at the NBA level, and he he was a strong scorer at the rim, around sixty four percent in the NCAA. I don't know what the numbers are for self created attempts, 
But yeah, he's got to be able to take contact and, and, and finish through it. Uh, he's got the body control to kind of contort his frame and, and get himself into a better position in the air. I think that's something that could be worked on. I, I don't think it's a matter of just doesn't have it in him. But just moving on to the handle, that's a, that, that's a question. I, I, you got to ask if this is a guy who can really go straight up the middle with the ball in his hands. Not that he's super turnover prone, but uh, it can be a little bit shaky. We'll put it that way. You got to wonder if he's going to grow into having a strong enough handle that he can really create consistently from the perimeter. What do you think about that? Yeah, and I think he's one of those players that's super like one hand dominant. It seems like pretty much mm-hmm. he was only confident like going left. Oh, really? I, I saw him go right a lot. I, I felt like right was his more dominant side. I I saw a, a lot of of like him going left. Um, on on at least like some of the bigger like uh kind of back cuts that he would do um oh. or, yeah like anywho i think that the settling for shots is definitely an indication for the fact that his handle is just so raw and there isn't a lot of confidence in it in his ability to get guys to kind of commit to one side or the other before he can go. It's like, I think he uses, um, it's not that he has a bad handle. It's just that it's not refined enough to the level where he can really get players off balance in small spaces. Yeah, I agree with that. Occasionally we'd see him flash out a really pretty move, like a behind the back, you know, or a nice crossover. But I agree that raw is the way of putting it. I don't feel like it's the same thing that we see when we look at Jabari Smith, where it's like, dude, your handle just sucks. <laughs> but it's, I think it's a matter of rawness. Yeah. And, and to bring it back to it, like we've said several times now, he was asked to do a lot at Arizona, and that was a lot of handling as well. So uh, again, like, I just keep coming back to this, and I hope it's not wishful thinking. I, I think that's something that could be improved upon as well. Uh, another thing that's, comes into it both on and off the handle is the guy can sometimes get a little bit out of control and just crash into people and you get it drew a fair amount of offensive fouls as a result could just be the the intensity with which he plays but that that's another minor just another another minor downside now one you've you've mentioned a couple of times now but i want to go further into is his lack of an in-between game like at all i'd say the guy's got really nothing in that capacity you don't have to but it's real nice to have yeah the uh lack of a threat from mid-range is something that I think could really put him over the hump with a lot of these other concerns we've laid out that if the mid-range can at least get to the point where it's a threat and we know Mm -hmm. that he has the athletic like burst and bounce like he's like tremendous at getting vertical in like mid-stride and that's something that just leaps out on watching the tape if you will is he can elevate on a on a dime basically but the issue is that it's not always in the 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 with enough time and space for him to get anything more than the, in a contested long two and if you're a pistons fan i'm sure everyone has seen more than enough of that the past two years with Jeremy Grant. Yeah. And that's, I think the option for him to 
kind of solve the issues that we have as like a creator that if he can just drive in and get to his spot and get up and put up a relatively efficient two-point shot when you combine with his athleticism, his ability as a burgeoning pick and roll like uh, passer, then uh, and the three-point shot being so, I think, just repeatable for how fluid the mechanics just look, mm-hmm. then that, I think, will allow him to exist very comfortably next to a really good player. Yeah, I would say about his mid this is in-between game. I mean, of course, we know a few guys actually managed to put together a good pull-up game from mid-range. I mean, that's... Yeah, there's, there's not many guys who can do that. I mean, if he can at least be a threat to do it when he's left wide open, you know, great. Even then, most guys aren't super good at it, like just on the in the in terms of just the the NBA efficiency standards. But you know, if he can put together anything in the paint, that's a consistent threat. Uh, because right now, you know, his, his only option to get up a decent shot is to drive into the restricted area, even when there's not necessarily anything there. Uh, and if he can improve his handle, that becomes less of an issue for mid range. Um, but if you have no, if if you've got kind of not a great handle and no in-between game, you might you might have some issues there. But his athleticism may just be enough if he can tone up that handle a bit to, to I think, overcome the lack of any sort of in-between game. So uh, just one final thing, and this could have just been my own perceptions. I did feel like at times maybe he was a little bit aggressive toward his teammates and his body language, and I have no idea what he was saying. Uh, but when they made mistakes, did you pick up on that at all? I mean, it, it could. It, it, granted, this is just entirely what I saw on TV. It's by, you know, it's entirely possible that the guy could be a great teammate and everybody loves him. It didn't feel like his teammates had an issue with that, but I don't want to speak to like the intricacies of right. like on court or off court dynamics on a team that like, I only really followed for one player. Um, that I have otherwise no interest in at all. Um, yeah. Sorry, Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. I'm. It, it's just not a program that really I care for outside of the NBA draft context. But yeah, I, I mean, maybe, but I'd rather have a guy that you'd need to like reel in on occasion than have a guy who you want to get going more so and like get fired up because one thing at least is gonna be sure about Ben Matherin is that he wants to win Mm -hmm. yeah I I, I agree with that and I think I mean Troy Weaver has been unequivocal in his unwillingness to compromise on character so I mean if he if he were to come to the conclusion that I mean if Ben Matherin's behavior toward his teammates actually were an issue I think that that would be a, a giant minus for him when it came to being drafted by the Pistons all right, so uh, any additional weaknesses you want to go over before we move on to fit with the Pistons? Nope. All right, so fit with the Pistons. Uh, I know it's brought up that when the Pistons, I know there's some that some who are of the philosophy that if uh, when you're in the early stages of a rebuild like this with the Pistons, you just draft purely for talent. You don't care about fit. I disagree with that. I feel like the the rebuild really got, I don't want to say it got accelerated, but it definitely the face of it got changed when the Pistons were able to fit, uh, were able to draft Cade, potential superstar talent, and you're going to draft with some fit with him is going to be in mind. So I have this philosophy that I've repeated quite a few times that it's not just about talent. It's about value. 
that can be talent plus fit. And I feel like Matherin is just a very, would be a very solid fit with Cade. Yeah, uh, what, what's your opinion of, of how you see him, uh, you know, the value you think he would provide as a backcourt partner for Cade Cunningham? Well, one point that you've brought up in the past that I think is very interesting with Hamadou Diallo, and this kind of is what actually started me kind of following the Matherin rabbit hole all the way down to uh, Canadian Wonderland, basically, is Hamadou, Hamadou's issue is that he's an exceptional athlete, but can't really find a, a place in like a starting lineup or even as like a primary option in like a rotation, you know, like as like a good off the bench guy in a, on a really good team because his shot just isn't where it needs to be and hasn't for pretty much since he got into the league. And so I think the fit with Cade, it will be, if we do end up with Matherin, which I don't think is a given is uh, pretty good because I think that the upside for him to be that secondary handler, but also bring the off-ball capabilities that we kind of desperately need on this team to vertically, horizontally uh, space the floor, because he's a he's a legitimate lob threat as a two-guard, which is Hamadou is. And I'm not saying Matherin's as good of an af- athlete as Hami, but I, I am going to say he's very much in the upper end of NBA athletes, probably in that, like, as you said, 85 plus percentile range, which is very, very good. It's just not the elite, 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 like a jaw, for instance. But what is nice about Matherin is that the, the shot and the is, I think, already very real, is very um, much a threat on volume, off movement, something we desperately need. And I think that he can provide more consistency on that end from a team that like, we were what, like 29th in three point shooting um, or something ridiculous. It was bad. It was <laughs> bad. It was, it, it, and I mean, it started historically bad. And so I think that if you like the idea of a Hamadou Diallo that could shoot and not just shoot, but shoot well on difficult shots, that I think is a tremendous value, even if it he might not have like the spooky, crazy athleticism of like a Jaden Ivey. Um, that I think is something we we would uh, really enjoy to see grow with Cade. Because another thing about Matherin is that he's only twenty; he is a mm-hmm. sophomore, but he's a very young sophomore. He's still nineteen as of this recording, and. This is a guy who like really put himself in a very unique situation because he he's from French Canada, uh, Canada, from Montreal, and he moved himself as a 16-year-old over to Mexico City um, before he went to college in Arizona. And he shows, I think, that there is there's been a lot of growth in his game from like a teenager. He's not like he wasn't a super phenom like Cade, for instance, where it's just like, okay, this guy is going to be great. And he's like 16, 17, tearing up um, at Mount Verde. But we, we've shown or seen that this guy is very dedicated to improving his game, is still very young, very athletic, very competitive, 
and overall, I think from a culture fit, but also from a on-court fit, it's hard for us at five to get much better, in my opinion. Yeah, it's yeah, you know, like I said, it, it's about what value the Pistons are going to get out of him. It's not just his. Uh, I'm agreeing with you, and it's not just his talent, and and he does have a good a good degree of talent. I'm not sure if he'll reach what Hamadou can do off the dribble. Like uh, Hamadou is very good. I mean, he's even with Caden Equation, he's the best player on the team. It was last season at just getting to the basket and scoring there. So I mean, if Mathurin would have developed that kind of handle, like Hamadou has, like he's not good in terms of dribble moves, but he can just explode in there, and he's very hard to stop at the basket. If he could get there, great. But yeah, he's oh, several light years ahead of Hamadou as a shooter. Like you said, that's what that's really what is holding Hamadou back. He would be a starter in the NBA and could be a twenty point per game scorer if he were a good shooter. But right now, he can't even get the set shot down. Matherin's a good movement shooter, so I think for the Pistons, you're finding an intersection with his with Matherin's very good athleticism and his very good shooting. And it's worth noting that in a smaller shooting role, he shot forty two percent. In, in his freshman season, it was only three and a half attempts per game, but he took a lot of difficult threes this year and this, in this past season. So that athleticism, which the Pistons really need, like desperately need, because you've got Cade and Bay together in the starting lineup and really no elite athletes unless you consider Grant one. And, uh, and Mathurin's really on that, the edge of elite athleticism. Like off-ball movement, Pistons definitely need that. The ability just to beat your guy off the dribble, even if you do nothing with it, is an end in itself for unhinging the defense. And yeah, I, I think just, yeah, that intersection of athleticism and shooting and potential as a creator, I think would, would, would give him good value next to Cade. But I feel like also just the actions he could run next to Cade uh, off the cut, like cuts aren't a huge source of offense in the NBA, but you'll find some there off of running off of screens for motion shots. And also just, he's going to have an easier time getting open shots in the NBA with offenses that are geared toward that. So I, I think he would just find a good niche in the offense as a guy who doesn't need the ball, but hopefully can do more things on it as he develops, but can just to have a lot of off-ball utility. So uh, what would you see in, in terms of uh, like what, I know we've already touched on this a bit, what do you think Matherin will need to do in order to be like more of a role player and, and possibly like one of that uh, number two, number three option on a championship team? Uh, it's, I think some combination of an improvement in the, in his passing, in his, uh, shot selection and in his ability to finish through contact if that i don't think all aspects need to be like fully maximized for him to get to that ballpark of player but i think all three need to come along in order for him to be a viable like complimentary robin to batman sort of player for the Pistons or whatever team he ends up playing for. Yeah, I would say that like the passing will definitely be a thing. I mean, you basically, if you're going to be on the ball any amount in the NBA these days, have to be able to be a decent passer. And I think he's there already. But if he can couple motion three-point shooting with his excellent off-ball movement, with the fact that opponents need to cover him closely at the three-point line because he can shoot through relatively close coverage, and if he, can, if he can couple all of that with the ability to attack off the drive, uh, which I think he, he can do with his athleticism, because the closer a defender is covering you, the easier time you're going to have getting past him, um, like as opposed to guys who can sag off a couple of steps and then they have more time to react. Uh, so if he can do that, you know, fantastic. You've got a guy, you know, and if he can 
you know, if he can actually get to the basket and score, you've got a guy who, who I think could do a lot because you saw at the college level, like just the, the combination of the threat of a shot and his athleticism, like they had to defend him closely. And then when he got into the interior, they, you know, he would draw extra coverage and he could find, usually find the open man. So if you had that combination of things, you know, just, just great shooting, really good shooting off, uh, off of motion situations, good spot up shooting, uh, good ability to shoot through coverage and the ability to really punish people for guarding him closely and then to make the right pass if he draws double coverage. I mean, I think that's a very valuable player. I mean, uh, what would you see kind of as his ceiling? I think the ceiling is maybe like a version of Jalen Brown is, is probably like my most optimistic kind of projection as like a, just a really good second option. Oh really? Do you think he'd be that he could be that strong off the drive? Yeah, I I think that the I like the frame that he he has. It's just going to be like confidence in his handle and ability to improve through contact, I think. Because we know that he's kind of fearless already. It's just Definitely. a matter of applying that, I think, in more situations. And if he could get there, then you're looking at a guy who can kind of stretch the floor but also apply rim pressure and i can think of few few things we need more than that as pistons yeah. fans yeah guys who can create definitely and guys who can shoot is great and i just keep coming back to with kate i mean a guy who who can take advantage of really the the gravity that kate attracts i mean you're seeing it in the playoffs with i mean steph gets trapped by the mavericks and luke gets trapped by the warriors and if they can just get that pass off, especially to players who are quick at getting open and can capitalize on the fact that now there's a defender who's out of position, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, for Matherin, like even just attacking off of situations in which he catches the ball in motion and penetrates the basket. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, I think as a ceiling, yeah, I, I think he could maybe, I would say, be the number three guy in a championship team. You'd really have to hope for a lot for number two. However, I think his floor, as long as he can translate the shooting and the athleticism, it could be as, you know, as a fairly good starter. That's not a great outcome, but I, I think he's got a very respectable floor also. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that pretty much any NBA team would welcome a two-guard, two-three-ish long wing type who can shoot motion threes and provide plenty of vertical pop to go along with it and if he's playing in that reduced role i think the defense will go up and the shooting numbers will actually only improve so yeah i think that even if he is just a a uh, high-end starter like fifth option type as just like a guy you plug in like a kcp i think mm -hmm. that that's a pretty reasonable floor yeah i know the kcp comp has been brought up it does scare me <laughs> <laughs> also, something, <laughs> some, something about Contavious. I mean, Contavious, not the greatest basketball IQ, um, but uh, yeah, it's a comp I don't really like because I just said I see that they they just play very almost just just in a different way. I I know we're we're getting we're getting up close to an hour here, so I don't want to go into a KCP, KCP comp. It just scares me because KCP like the issue for me with KCP is just his basketball IQ, and I don't think that's. Matherin shares that issue with him, fortunately. But in terms of a comp, like I know you brought yours up with Jalen Brown. Uh, the one that I see is 
a sort of form of Victor Oladipo in his pre-injury days, like that that All NBA third team All NBA season with the Pacers in 2017-2018. They've got so his like Oladipo's lost a lot in the way of athleticism from these injuries, but before that he was a pretty darn good athlete, and I see a lot in common between he and Matherin in terms of how they move, in terms of their athleticism, in terms of how their passing is, you know, straight line passing and, you know, kind of a decisive fashion, capitalizing on the attention that they, that they garner and just the intensity with which they play. I think that it's unlikely that Matherin will be quite as good on the ball as Oladipo was, but I think he'll be a significantly better shooter just in terms of, just in terms of the utility that he has. So, I mean, if you can get the player like that, you know, fantastic. That would be an excellent outcome, particularly in this draft. Yeah, better shooting Oladipo would be, I'd be over the moon. Oh, absolutely. That would be a great outcome. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think, like I said, I don't think, like Oladipo was very good at, at scoring at the basket at that point. And I'm not sure if Matherin will get there. I mean, if he can, fantastic. But also, like that Oladipo would not be as good on this team because he was unequivocally the primary handler there. And he would not have that next to Cade. Matherin, however, can be very, very valuable off the ball. It does not lose, even if he becomes a good creator, would not lose a ton off the ball. Yeah, you just in one sentence uh, summed up exactly why I'm so high on him for the Pistons or just in general, that the the off the ball role for him, I think, is already carved out. Mm -hmm. But what we need more of on this team is an athletic creator. And especially an athletic creator that can play off of a primary option. We are fortunate as Pistons fans to have the presumptive primary option of the future on our roster already. And so we can kind of build around that a little bit. And that's kind of your point around value that I I really agree with because you have a guy in Cade who is like just tremendous after the all-star break and kind of around that point, just Mm -hmm. completely like solved some of his, uh, I think just uncertainty with playing the game at that level and has shown that this guy is kind of a cut above pretty much anybody. And you, you have him about, about anybody, but he's definitely up there. Say, any rookie, I should any say. Any rookie, gotcha. Okay, yeah, yeah that, that I agree with. I think he had the best stretch of play of any rookie, and that's including Jalen Green finally like coming alive. Um, mm-hmm. I was more impressed by by Cade, but I'm biased. I'm a homer, so any Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> that we have that guy to build around, and let's try to get a guy who can play off of Cade, but also I think could take that pressure off Cade, but in a way that's better than Corey Joseph or Killian Hayes. Oh yes. Um, who are not athletic threats and especially in like Killian Hayes case, isn't like a threat to do much of anything on offense. Mm-hmm. Even if he yeah. is probably almost definitely the better defender than Matherin at this point. Yeah. I mean, definitely Killian's a good defender. Absolutely. Should, should give that to him hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. It's so, yeah. When you're looking for a guy next to K, definitely a guy who doesn't need the ball can play off of him, but hopefully, yeah, you just, you said it well, can take the pressure off of him as a creator and hopefully Matherin can get there. That's the big question about him. Can he get there as a creator? And I've, I've got a good degree of confidence in it. All right. And with that, let's move on to our listener submitted questions. So one that I would say is the most primarily relevant to exactly what we were just talking about. Whom would each of us want at number five, assuming the three bigs are gone? 
So I'm not sure if you're going to agree with this, but this has been brought up recently. I mean, the rumors have been flying around, and I agree this is a possibility, not necessarily because it'd be a good idea, just because the Kings are who they are with a playoff-obsessed owner. You know, Pistons fans should be familiar with that. Uh, it's possible the Kings would move number four, and I think that's a realistic situation. And if they do move number four, I'm pretty sure that whoever picks there will take Jaden Ivey. Do you think that's a likely scenario? I think that if they don't go Keegan Murray at four, that they will move the pick. So, yes. Yeah. So, if you had asked me a week ago, and we talked about it a week ago, actually, uh, on, on, on the last episode, I would have probably said Shaden Sharp. Uh, I don't like Murray all that much. I just, yeah, we'll talk. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, Murray will be in a future episode. So if the Pistons hit number five and Ivy is gone and the three bigs are gone, yeah, I would be going with Matherin at this point. Like we said earlier in the episode, I mean, Shaden, for me, lost a lot when he just refused to show anything. Not just because it, you know, probably reflected pretty poorly on his mentality, but also just because we don't know anything, and I, I don't think that the front offices are going to know a ton either. So, uh, yeah, who would be your number five? Matherin would be my selection, even higher than five. So he's he's my choice. Yeah, uh, pretty much. That's that's why I'm on this pod because I <laughs> I love me some Benedict Matherin with two ends. Yeah, Get it right. Uh, I hear you. Yeah, so for anybody who wants to watch tape on Benedict Matherin, there's a, there's a YouTube channel called The Scouting Rapport. So it's R A P P O R T, and they've got a whole lot of Benedict Matherin highlights. You can and you can sink yourself into about an hour's worth of them. So uh, all right, moving on. If the Pistons pick up a pick in the twenty to thirty range, who are some guys you would prefer they target? So uh, anybody in mind for you? I think it it uh, depends a lot on who we go with for our first top ten pick. Um, at number five, if we go Matherin, then I probably look for a bigger wing or a big, um, that that's probably my first inclination is kind of spread the love, if you will. And at that range, I really like the idea of maybe taking a shot on, on Kendall Brown. If we get to like pick 25 or so, because Kendall Brown is another guy that is an absolute freak of an athlete, but his half-court offensive game is pretty much revolves around passing and dunking. He will oftentimes refuse to just look at the rim, and I think he'd be a guy who should go back, but he is he basically plays on pogo sticks. The dude can sky, and hmm. just taking an athletic... Like he's six eight ish, um, like wing that in that range, and just kind of as a pure dart, yeah. I think would fit really well with us because he's very raw, but he has just incredible bounce, and that's something we need. All right, I hear you. Yeah, so for me, it would depend on where in the twenties. So. uh yeah, I think you said that very same thing. And so if it were like 28, 29, I would consider looking at Christian Coloco. So pretty strong defender overall, maybe not great on switches, but good, super athletic, uh, really good measurements. And uh, yeah, one of the draft guys, I, I, I tend to just do my own analysis, but uh, Sam Bassini, I think is is quite good at his job. And one of the things he said that I thought was a really good point that he made is that it might, is that it, 
well, in his opinion, it's good to go with guys in the twenties who have high floors. You know, some people have the philosophy that's, you know, whatever it's, you know, picking the end of the first round, just shoot for ceiling. So his argument, which I thought was very persuasive, was that you go for guys with high floors because, you know, then great, you've got solid contributing role players on very affordable contracts for the next four years. And if if that's your timeline, I mean, if you're planning on really starting to compete in, in the next couple of years, then that, you know, that's that's a very good value proposition. So along those lines, I mean, Coloco could be a good option. I mean, it could be a cheap center who's who's either a long-term backup or maybe you hope that he becomes your starter on a team that's got a lot of talent elsewhere. In the high 20s, and this is a situation that this guy could well end up in the, at the end of the lottery. It's it's hard to say because he had a very impressive combine. Is Jalen Williams. He, uh, oh, right. You didn't say if it was 20, where the pick was. You said whom they pick. So yeah, if they pick Matherin, maybe this is less of a good one, but you can never have enough of these athletic wings. Jalen Williams, super athletic. Uh, really shoots well, good defender, at great length. He's about the same height as Matherin with a seven foot two wingspan. Pretty good passer, and uh, yeah, that would I think that would be that would be a worthy pick. Yeah, uh, Jalen Williams and another guy, Turquavion Smith. I oh, think. Oh, I don't are, like him. <laughs> well, he play he doesn't play defense is one issue, but if if we get like pick thirty. For whatever reason, I'd be over the moon grabbing Turquavion Smith if he wants to like pre-draft and play uh, on the cruise for a year. Mm-hmm. Because, as you said, like getting the, the those extra years of control, and he's not a high floor player by any no. stretch of the imagination. But I have I've kind of fallen in love with his ability to just just make shots. And he's very fun in that regard. And getting a a pure, he's even more of a pure dart than I think Kendall Brown is in certain respects. And he could he could really be a fantastic player. But you you kind of get all outcomes. So if I if I wanted to go the more like high uh, floor low variance type of player, I think. This is a guy Sam Vecini really likes. I think a guy like Jake LaRavia would just mm. fit right in. He's he can defend well, he can make shots, he's actually fairly athletic, mm-hmm. and he's big. And if we're replacing Grant in whatever scenario, he could be like kind of a uh, fifth fifth uh, guy on a starting team and that fifth just, guy in the starting lineup, huh? Yeah, I that's, think that's, that, that's that's yeah. As as like a four who just does like good things. He makes good passes, and I think he's the quintessential like just get a dude who's gonna gotcha. play. And you have you're right. Getting getting that that team control is is a huge deal, especially as we start maxing like Cade. Hopefully, hopefully Cade's good enough to max. Yeah. Um. And and then paying Bay and you know paying whoever we pick at five or number one hopefully next year um getting a guy who (laughs) that's a little wishful thinking but uh getting a guy who can uh just be cheap and good while we're actually improving because we have a lot of young guys right now but by the time we're competitive they're going to need to be paid basically and so we kind of need to keep i think accruing that young young quality talent and so 
I think that there there'd be a home, especially if we move Grant for Jake Laravia to at least get into the rotation. Hmm. Yeah, the Pistons definitely need rotation players. I mean, I, I think if you look at at who's actually who's on the roster right now, I mean, the Pistons don't really have a ton of guys you can look at, you can point at going forward and say this guy will definitely be in the rotation. And you want guys who can actually play in the postseason. So uh, that's yeah. that's definitely there. It's yeah, with just livers. <laughs> uh, yeah, livers, maybe Frank Jackson, maybe Diallo. Um, I'm probably forgetting somebody. But yeah, in terms of the younger players, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Terquavion Smith, I kind of feel like he'd only be – the guy, I don't think he can play next to Cade because he just likes to be on the ball and shoot. He'd have to be that kind of second uh, – that kind of sixth-man role. But man, on pull-up threes, which you love to take this year, 32 of 112. I mean, yeah, he was – He's a good catch and shoot guy, but he loves to take those those pull up threes, and he was terrible at them. So, yeah, he you'd have to hope he developed. I think into some sort of like Tyler Tyler Harrow sort of dude, because I don't think you could ever put him in the starting lineup, including his defense. I wouldn't mind having a Tyler Hero type on my basketball team. Oh no, nobody does. But yeah, that's that's a lot to ask for. Yes, I yes. would say yeah, it's, it's something... a tremendous job by the Heat. Sorry to cut you off. It's a tremendous yeah. job by the Heat another story of how great they are at developing players from kind of out of nowhere. The best. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if you get hero at pick 30, that's a home run. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Of course I would say his chances of turning into hero or uh, who is, who is a significantly better, just pure shooter at the, arguably the best pure shooter in the, in the 2019 draft. I think, I think this is much more of a, uh, of taking a lottery ticket, but yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, all right, folks, that'll be it for today's episode. Uh, thank you, Price, for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. No problem. Happy to be here. If you'd like to subscribe uh, to the show on Twitter, it's at uh, to the basket pod. That's T-O, not the number two. Thank you all for listening. Catch you next time.